Beloved congregation, I bring you greetings from the church I serve in Ontario, just north of Toronto. We pray that God is sustaining you. The need is for the gospel of grace and for the word of God. And so we ask that your soul would be prospering and that you would be also kept in body as well. And it's a privilege to be with you on this this momentous day in many respects as we can have a preparatory sermon and service and also the installation of office bearers. God provides for his church and sustains uh, his people. This morning I'd like to direct your attention to Isaiah 66 and verses 1 and 2 where we read these words. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me, and where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and that trembleth at my word. And the question may come to you, or you may have considered it already, how can I approach God at something so holy, so sacred as the Lord's Supper, as Holy Communion? And our excuses can be many. We're not what we should be. We have many besetting sins, many much ongoing struggle. We could look for greater growth than we were exhibiting if we're honest with ourselves. And so we can multiply reasons why the God of heaven would turn away from us and have nothing to do with us. And yet the wonder of God's work and the compelling nature of God's word is that God delights to look upon a people whom he prepares to meet him rightly. God delights to look upon a people whom he prepares to approach him rightly. And so this can be the answer to all of our excuses to stay away. That God can work in me the proper way of approaching him so that I may come in the absolute confidence knowing that he will accept me Graciously. And it's this reality that we need to speak loudly and clearly into our, into our lives this week. That he prepares a people to approach him rightly, whom he will accept. And then we have to ask what is this preparation? What is this work that God does? 
in a person's heart so that that person, man or woman, will approach him rightly. And this morning I'd like to consider a few aspects of it, of how God prepares a people to approach him rightly. That's our theme, approaching God rightly. We have three points, adoring his transcendence. What that means is how high and lofty, how greater, much greater he is than us. If we are low, God is transcendent. He's far above. Then trusting his provision, what God has done. And lastly, submitting to his word. So approaching God rightly. Firstly, adoring his transcendence. It was a common struggle in the religious life of Israel that they presumed to have the temple and to have this whole order of, of worship and, and that's the way in the mere outward going to this place and the mere outward doing of certain deeds that God would necessarily accept them. And that type of formalism, that type of externalism where they thought because of what they had and because of what they did in the worship that there was an automatic outcome to be expected. And that's what God is getting at in the first verse. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is this house that ye build unto me and where is the place of my rest? And most simply, God is saying, you can't contain me to this physical location, the temple or the previous tabernacle and, and think just because you're in that, those, those walls and, and in that building that you automatically are, are worshiping God rightly. Like Solomon could pray, behold the heaven and the heavens of heaven cannot contain thee. How much less this house that my hands have made. And so approaching God greatly, we have to understand just how immense, how, how great he is. And we have to adore him as the God who is so great. And we can point out some of the other passages in, in Isaiah that really emphasize in a similar way the heaven is my throne. The heaven is my throne. Children, can you think back upon a time in, in Isaiah when he was, was faced with, with seeing the throne of God? we can think about Isaiah 6 at his, his call to be a prophet at the time when the man upon the earthly throne King Uzziah died 
shows the, the great transcendence of God, how, how utterly supreme he is. And then there are the attendants around the throne. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, and two he covered his feet, and two he did fly. And one cried unto another, and this is the chorus that surrounds the throne. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So at the very commissioning of of Isaiah, he saw the throne and he saw, yes, the earthly king on the throne had just died. But the Lord God who was on the throne was as alive as ever. And the life in that throne room was, was so vibrant and so energetic and so compelling. And what was Isaiah's response? Woe is me, for I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, dwelling among a people of unclean heart. Approaching God rightly shows the qualitative difference that he is the fount of life. He is the one which time does not bound and we are creatures dependent upon him sinners and needy enveloped by and so often consumed by time at the supper of the Lord we don't come as equals there is no not even close the comparison is the heaven is the Lord's throne, the earth is the footstool. It's the place like the the place that we can kick our feet up and relax. So much beneath the Lord. And you say, Well, maybe that's maybe that's why I shouldn't come, because he's so great. How could I ever? Come to commune with him. But remember Isaiah. How was Isaiah in his sinfulness mobilized and enabled to fulfill the calling that God was giving him as prophet? The coal from off the altar was taken. And it was applied to his lips. There is the way upon the altar for unworthy, lowly people to approach the high and lofty one. It's not in building ourselves up, but it's in approaching him through a substitute through the one he has provided. And that's what the Lord's Supper sets before us. This is God's way. His own dear son. God and man. To
to bring his people back to God. And the other passage I would direct your your attention to is Isaiah 40. We have read of the earth being the, the footstool of the Lord in Isaiah 40, verse 21. We see about the earth. Have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have ye not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sits upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof as are, are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heaven as a curtain, and spreadeth them as a tent to dwell in, that bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. To whom then will you liken me? Or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Verse 25. And then verse 28. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. That's his transcendence. That's his greatness. But then what follows? He gives power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The earth is the Lord's footstool. And the wonder that we see from Isaiah 40 is that the God of all resource, of all strength, of all might, of all wisdom, supplies for his weak, faint-hearted people. We're not to find strength in ourselves. Children, there's times when no matter how hard you try something, you can be trying to lift the shovel and move the snow with all your might, but sometimes it's just too heavy and the pile is too high. And your dad or your mom needs to come alongside and help you lift it. It's not your own strength. This is what we learn also in our weakness. The earth is the Lord's footstool. Yet what a wonder that he gives his strength to those like ourselves who are so weak. Who can't even begin to to lift an ounce of the burden Whatever that burden is, the burden of our sin, the burden of a struggle physically, the burden of dealing with providence that's so hard and seems so harsh, he gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the faint. And what's the, one of the ways that he gives strength? that he 
who dwells in heaven, whose footstool is this earth, would give sacraments to the strengthening of faith. That's how low God comes. So that in bread and wine, our hearts can be enlarged and and our hands can be equipped and, and encouraged and our lives can be helped along. And it's a constant reminder that everything that we need to live, we need from God. Congregation, this week I pray that you adore the transcendent God. That you find your heart overflowing with a sense of just how high he is as the Holy One. And how extensive his power and wisdom is in your life. And that would be a reason to come humbly to receive what he has chosen to give. And if you're not a believer, you're really saying in a practical sense that you are sufficient. You don't need the transcendent God in a sense that you are are trying to do what only the transcendent God can do. And yet every minute of your life you need him. And this can show up in inconvenient times. This can show up in providence and trials and the realities of a world that is hard and hostile. You can never compete with the transcendent God. And what you need to learn is that he will not share his glory. It's either him, it's only him. And we must bend the knee before his throne. And he has given his throne to us now as a throne of grace, as a presence to bend before in prayer. Lord, Humble me. Cause me to see that I am not transcendent. I'm not able to replace you. But make me thy servant. So this is adoring God's transcendence. Secondly, we are to trust his provision. We are to trust his provision. For all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been. And then in, a, in verse 3, we read of the abomination that the acts of worship of these, these false worshipers are to the Lord. He that killeth an ox as if he slew a man. It's like in the killing of ox, it's, it's murderous in God's sight. 
He that sacrificeth a lamb as if he cut off a dog's neck. That's how God was viewing their worship. He that offereth an oblation as if he offered swine's blood, the blood of an unclean animal. He that burns incense as if he blessed an idol. So rather than making themselves more presentable and rather than God accepting them automatically, God is saying they're, a, they're obnoxious to me. I hate them. This worship is an abomination. And the reason is, is because the heart of worship, the sacrifice, the provision of God for atonement was minimized. They thought it was in their deeds. Automatically, God would be owing them. But they missed and refused to believe. It's in God's provision. It's in what he would do. And this is what the Lord's Supper directs us to. Not to the drumming up of, of our own feelings, our own faith, but in absolute dependence on what God has done. This is entirely worthy of your trust and mine. This is approaching God rightly through blood, through the way of the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, through the way of the removal of the veil of, of death in Isaiah 25 where, where death is swallowed up through the work of God. through that coal that was removed from off the altar in Isaiah 6. Throughout Isaiah, the call is to depend and to trust the Lord's provision. And this morning, this is what we need this week. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to Thy cross, the cross I cling. And so how are we to trust in God's provision? Well, let me just suggest a few ways. The first way of trusting God's provision is to see its suitableness, how it suits our need. What is your need? Your need is to have your sin dealt with, to have your guilt removed, to have God's judgment upon you turned away. And the beauty of of what God has done, what He has made, the way that He has made, is that in His Son, in Christ, That need has been met. Guilt. 
taken away. By himself being declared by an earthly judge worthy of death. And by him dying. Under the curse of God. Bearing sin. And scoffing rude in my place. Condemned he stood. That's our need, and that's his provision. Is that what you trust in? In Christ. And then there is the reality of of sin, the ongoing presence of sin. This is something that will rear its ugly head throughout this week when you are, are maybe wanting to have close communion, wanting to have, have clarity in your own spiritual condition, there can be all sorts of, of disruption. It never goes smoothly. Sin can wreak havoc. And you can be left, as it were, on Saturday night saying, what a failure of a week I've had. I wanted to come closer and closer, and it seems like I was going further and further. What provision has God made that you are to trust? Well, ultimately, I believe it's the reality that Christ is reigning now. Yes, though we continue in this struggle, in this pilgrimage, that we have to trust that in his rule in heaven as the ascended head of his church, he's the one upholding me. He's the one sustaining my life. None will pluck his sheep out of his hand because he's the shepherd who has laid down his life for every single one keep me from trusting my own frames. Keep me from trusting my own efforts. May this reality of ongoing struggle bring home the reality that my life is hid with Christ in God. He is the keeper of my life. And if you know that, There is a place for you at the table because he will sustain his own work. Where he lives in the heart, he will feed that heart with the bread that doesn't perish, but that endures to everlasting life. Trust his provision as the ascended Lord who provides the ordinary means to help his brothers and sisters. As it were, he's not ashamed to call them brethren. Carry on. We need to trust his provision. Even around the table. When the time comes for holy communion, it's not in the moments 
of delight. That we ultimately find our rest and find our joy. But remember what the table signifies. That Christ will come again to gather his people to the eternal marriage feast where Christ as host will feed his people eternally. Let that be an encouragement. He is worthy to be trusted. He abundantly supplies his beloved with bread. But lastly, approaching God rightly, adoring his transcendence, trusting his provision, lastly, submitting to his word. The end of the verse, too, gets most of the attention in experiential circles. But to this man will I look, will I look in pleasure and acceptance and welcome. Even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and that trembleth at my word. This is word and spirit. This is the work of God being brought to our hearts, being applied effectively. This is the reality of true worship imprinting itself upon us. And again, it's against the false worshipers that just said, well, in the doing of outward action, going to a place and doing certain rituals, then that's enough. And God says no to the one who is is poor and contrite, who trembles at my word, that's the one that I will look. To the publican in the temple who couldn't look up to heaven, but who, who beat upon his breast, looking, looking down and confessed, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. God's word is decisive. God's word is the only, trembling to God's word is the only proper reaction to it. could read in Isaiah 40 how all flesh is as grass and the health thereof is as the flower of the field but the word of the Lord endures forever that's the word that we tremble before not before flesh and things that pass away but the ultimacy the authority the gravity the weightiness of God's word And our souls are humbled under it and we are brought low by it. Maybe you've had it, children, where you can listen to a a child's song and there's a catchiness to your ears and you you can kind of remember the words and you can sing it. But it doesn't really, you know, impact you. It's just something fun, something cute. But then maybe you remember another time where there's a boom of thunder and it feels like that thunder clap went right through your being and you run to your mom and dad and you you want to be kept close to them. Which would be comparable to trembling at God's word. 
not the cuteness of the preacher's voice or the, the beauty of the expressions, but the weightiness, the way that it shakes a person, as it were, to their very core of their being, and it leaves them absolutely needy. is the way to approach God rightly. With a sense of his majesty, the sense of the gravity, the weightiness of who he is and what his word is. And this week, this is what we need. This is what you need, God's word. To speak with ultimate authority and clarity. That's what you need to to lead you forward. May God's word draw you. May what you read in the word find a deep echo in your own experience and may it be that which, which says to you, I hear the voice of my beloved. He is mine, I am his. I don't do this lightly. I know the solemnity, but I know that he irresistibly calls me. I can't stay away. That's the heart of a true man, woman, young person who approaches God rightly. Reverence, boldness, And you can't say no. You know something of trembling. The word of God. Not that it has to be an experience that you can say this is when it happened, but that it has to be a posture of heart where you are flesh passing away. The word of God is enduring forever, but that has spoke life and hope into your heart. But then too, and I'll conclude with this, the Spirit works contrition. The Spirit works poverty of spirit and humility of heart. These are not natural. These are his gracious gift. And anyone who comes to the table of the Lord comes as a beggar, as a needy person. Just yesterday on the, on the way from the airport over into this area at the, at the street corner, there's a beggar wanting just something. That's really really who we all are before the Lord. Poor. Empty. And contrite. And this is what the Holy Spirit delights to work in hearts and lives. This is who we all are. Poor. Lowly individuals 
And this is what we need to learn more and more. That God looks to such. Look in the Gospels. Bartimaeus. The woman with the hemorrhage. With the issue of blood. Look to Christ's dealings. With his disciples. Poor. Contrite. Let this be your prayer this week. Lord. Make me poor. Make me contrite. Bring me to tremble at your word and give me that absolute confidence that you will receive in mercy a needy beggar like I am. Approaching God rightly. It's what our life is all about. And I pray that in this season of celebrating the Lord's Supper, that day by day, you would adore his transcendence, you would trust his provision, and you would tremble at his word. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank thee for the way thou hast made. What a glorious way. Thy greatness, thy gracious gift, and thy work in hearts. Bless this congregation with a a week of helpful, a week of beneficial, a week of God-glorifying examination. That thy dear people would see the way thou hast led them and approach thee in confidence in Christ. And those who aren't believing in thy name, Lord, may they set their house in order. May they learn what it is to be poor and contrite, to have thy word go through them as it were a thunderclasp, bringing them to their knees to confess their sins and to lay hold of Christ. Glorify thy name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.